thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Be seated if you would. Let's thank our team for leading us out today. Man, did such a great job. Uh, Pastor Zach turns 32 years old today. Can we wish him a happy birthday? And, um, and so he's just been kind of roaming around all the various areas of our church today. And 32, that's a baby, right? I just turned 40, 32 is a baby, but we love him and, and are so grateful for him. Grateful that you are uh, here today, that together uh, we get to make much of Jesus. Whether you're here in the room physically or you are joining us online, we are so grateful that, that you are here. And my water is okay. Listen, I, it's, we'll, we'll throw that around. That is no problem. Thank you, John. Our, our drummer guy does such a great job. Hey, I want to say this. Um, as we get started, last week, kind of impromptu last minute, uh, we asked you guys, if you would, just to whatever the Lord laid on your heart, uh, to throw whatever you had in your pockets into a bucket on your way out and to help Robert and Deborah Nichols. Now, uh, this is their home up in the Shagbark community in Wares Valley. And uh, sadly, during the uh, devastating wildfires over the past couple weeks, this is all that's left. And uh, just, just heartbreaking. Their beautiful home is gone. And so last minute, last week, we asked you just to throw what you had and I think to date, a lot of our financial team was on spring break, but to date, uh, you gave over $5,500 to uh, Deborah. Yeah, absolutely. And Robert. And listen, we know insurance is going to kick in and all those things, but to help them kind of fill the gap in that time to get new clothes, to get the things they needed, they, you guys just loved on me. So I just want to say uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you uh, for loving on them so well. And I'll tell you this. Man, it moved their very hearts, you, how you loved on them. So thank you for doing that. Now, as we kick off the sermon today, I've got a question. Man, what is it that makes you cry? In fact, let me, let me get this a little bit better. You ready? What is it that makes you ugly cry? Y- y'all know what an ugly cry is, right? That when something reaches so deep, uh, whether good or bad, uh, you just you cry with your whole face, and it's just it's ugly, right? So well, what is it that makes you ugly cry. Now, 17 days ago, I, um, I turned 40, and I don't know what happened. I think some hormones are starting to rage up, and I'm the dad of three daughters, and that, that softens any man's heart, but, but in 17 days, I've cried a lot. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe midlife crisis or whatever, what have you, but, but I wonder this. What is it that makes you ugly cry? My daughters, they're not old enough to have a cell phone, because they're, um, Avery's nine, that's my oldest, and, uh, and Chloe has a birthday here soon. She's She's seven, she's going to be eight, and of course Sadie, but they're not old enough. I told them they're going to get cell phones when they're 32, like Zach, okay? And so that's when they get them. But my daughters have started texting me through their mama's phone. And I'm going to tell you something, I love it, all right? Let me share one text with you, speaking of ugly crying. This is from my oldest daughter, Avery, who's nine. And she texts me, hey, Dad, I hope you have a good day tomorrow. By the way, these texts are awesome, all right? Here we go, full of emojis. I love with one heart how uh, you are loving and sweet. Heart, 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 you've been the best friend to me. Love, Avery, princess emoji, followed by a Middle Eastern king emoji, which is evidently me, and, uh, and she puts 2022 just to get the case there, and she says, love, it's been a great time being your daughter. I love how you smile when I have a funny joke. Uh, you make me happy and you're funny. And I'm gonna tell you something, I get these all the time, and I'm... T- I cry. Like, I just, I can't help it. I love, but then my daughter, 
because she's my daughter, really helped daddy out here because at the end she goes, this joke is so funny. You know the joke she puts in there? Knock, knock, who's there? Interrupting cow, interrupting cow, moo! And that's the joke she put in the text to kind of save me from falling all to pieces. But you know what's amazing? Good or bad, you and I have all cried that ugly cry. But have you ever cried that kind of cry over a city? I remember back in 2016, Aaron and I were still in Charlotte ministering there, and uh, we were back home for a weekend, and that was the weekend of the fires. And I, I went to the hospital, several local pastors, and we just prayed over people coming in. And I remember driving through Pigeon Forge and, and seeing some of the fires and things that night about 3 a.m. in the morning and, and seeing all that had taken place. And I'm going to tell you something. I ugly cried over Pigeon Forge in Gatlinburg. I remember just in the past couple weeks, seeing what I saw in Wears Valley, hearing the news of Robert and Deborah's home and so many others. And man, there's some tears again. I remember on 9-11, sitting in my living room, watching the towers fall in New York City, and I again cried over a city. In Washington, as the Pentagon was up in flames, I cried over Washington, D.C., recently over the images in the cities in Ukraine and, and just and found myself more and more ugly crying over cities who are so broken and so hurt. You know, at various times in Scripture, Jesus has moved to tears over a city, a city called Jerusalem. And I want to share something with you about Jesus' tears, and, and I think I can say this in all respect, I think we're going to find in Scripture today that Jesus ugly cries over Jerusalem. We're going to find that in Luke chapter 19, that he cries over this city. And we know that, that at very times in Scriptures he does this. In Luke 13, Jesus was sorrowful for Jerusalem before arriving there. In Matthew 23, in a sermon he preaches inside the city, yet again a tearful response from Jesus concerning Jerusalem. He recounts those tearful words from Luke chapter 13. And today, we are going to see tears yet again fall down the cheeks of Jesus in the context of Scripture in Luke chapter 19 as Jesus sheds tears for Jerusalem. And so today on Palm Sunday, where it is traditional for a church to celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus today, we focus on the tears of Jesus. Because here's what we understand about the tears of Jesus. That Jesus' tears translated into action for you and for me. Jesus' tears translated into action for you and for me. Now, if you're a man like me, who yesterday spent most of my day playing Nerf Gun Wars with my son, you're like, I don't cry. Tears aren't for me. Real men don't cry. Well, just in case you are under the false assumption that Jesus is soft, let me remind you of what he looks like when he comes at the Battle of Armageddon, something far greater than a Nerf war. Watch what this says. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Now we're beginning to talk about Jesus. John lets us in with justice. He judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the very word. 
word of God. Watch this. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hey, by the way, when we speak of Jesus in this passage, he's not soft. He's moved. He's moved to tears. Think of this. Jesus who possesses all power, yet is moved by a heart of compassion. Jesus who has total sovereignty, yet cries tears of deep sympathy. Today, we will focus on the tears of Jesus, which translated into such incredible Action. Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, who does, just like compassion, so much to put uh, food in the, in the mouths of starving kids. He said this. One of his prayers was, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And so maybe, maybe just maybe, on this Palm Sunday, as we look forward to this Passion Week, this Holy Week, leading up to Easter Sunday, maybe just maybe, the return for your investment of time today and here would be leaving with the very prayer of your heart, God, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? And to allow our tears to translate into action that brings God great honor and glory and works to the good of so many. This Sunday is known as Palm Sunday it kicks off a week that serves as this culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry. A ministry, mind you, that is V-lining to the cross. A ministry that is V-lining to an empty grave. Luke 9.51 reminds us of this, that for some time now, that Jesus is in V-lining towards the cross. Watch this, all the way back in Luke chapter 9. In today's text, we're in Luke chapter uh, 19. But watch this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, speaking of Jesus, Jesus resolutely, I love that word, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Hey, hey, meaning this, he knew exactly what was going to go down there. And he went anyway. We know this because even just 15 miles outside of the city in Jericho, Jesus says this, that he came to seek and to save what was lost in Matthew 20, 28. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't just stumble into Jerusalem. He went there on purpose, and he went there with purpose. Jesus enters Jerusalem here for this Passover feast or celebration. Hey, by the way, man, God knows how to throw a party. God commissioned through his law these festivals, these celebrations, and man, God went all out. And here we find the celebration of the Passover that commemorated the time in Exodus chapter 12 where God had his people who were enslaved by Pharaoh take the blood of a lamb and put it on their doorpost so that when God sent the angel of death as judgment against Pharaoh and his Egypt, the death angel, seeing the blood, would, would pass over the children of God. And guess what? He did just that. But just mind you that as Jesus enters Jerusalem today, on the calendar so many years ago, it would be the blood of another lamb. The one entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. In fact, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, world, according to John the Baptist, 
in John chapter 1, verse 29. It would be this lamb who shed his blood once and for all so that death's sting would be removed, so that sin's stain could be forgiven, and that the grave's power would be emptied. You know, I got to study in Palm Sunday now for years, and what's amazing to me is that uh, Josephus would go, and he would do a study and, and cite a census that was taken one year near the time of Jesus. The census was of how many Passover lambs were brought into Jerusalem on and around Palm Sunday to be sacrificed during this celebration. And on one census they took over 250,000 lambs were brought into Jerusalem to be slaughtered during this feast. Over 250,000. You know what that means? That as Jesus was coming down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley and into the city of Jerusalem on this day, that he would have done so with thousands upon thousands of those lambs passing by him, heading to the slaughter. He would be reminded every step of the way that as those lambs who were being led to slaughter, that that was exactly his fate going into Jerusalem. And hear me, church, guess what he did? He went into Jerusalem anyway. Yo, why would he do it? Because you were on his heart and mine. Because I was on his heart and his mind. Everywhere surrounding him was a reminder of what was to take place. And he went in the city anyway. Man, you want to know what I would have done? I'd have topped the hill, Mount of Olives, seen all that, and I'd have turned the donkey around. But thank God, not Jesus. He goes in the city anyway. The fact that Jesus, the Lamb of God, goes into Jerusalem, fulfilling Zechariah 9-9 passage by entering Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Let me, let me tell you what it done. To the religious leaders, it would have put them up and sent them in arms. To the Romans who were already a little bit jittery that day because of insurrection talk and all that, man, they would have been on heightened alert. This was a city, a city as, as Matthew would say, that was in a stir. It was stirred up because Jesus was coming to town. Now watch what takes place here, and I love this in the text. I want us to see the fanfare. In John chapter 12, as he recounts this event, he says they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting this over Jesus. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Hey, by the way, for the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders, these are fighting words. And this is what they're crying out to Jesus. Now, understand something about palm branches. Um, just about 150 years before this time, the Maccabeans led this revolt and were crushed pretty severely for doing that. And ever since that time, palm branches were the symbol of nationalism for the Jews. It was their pride. Palm branches were used to welcome kings into the city of Jerusalem and to every other city after they come back victorious from battle. And here Jesus is receiving the royal treatment. Palm branches are being waved. Now, did you hear the shouts? Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, for those saying that that day, they didn't just come up with that on the spot. They didn't look to a PowerPoint screen and sing that. These were the conqueror's psalms out of Psalm 118. 
These are songs that if you were a Jewish boy, you would memorize these from the first memory you had. These are songs that you would use to praise in the temple and to celebrate God. And now they are being directed at Jesus who's riding in on a donkey. These were known as the conqueror songs. Hey, and by the way, it gives us a glimpse into and it paints a picture of how everybody saw Jesus that day. All of them wanted him to be the conqueror of Rome. To take away all the oppression they learned. And so they threw all of this on to Jesus that day. You know what's amazing? The crowd that day really wanted Jesus to conquer Rome, but could care less for them, for him to conquer their hearts and to sit as the king of their hearts. They just wanted, they just wanted away with Rome. They wanted their nation to rise again. And would Jesus be such a king? Here's what Luke chapter 19 teaches us in verse 36, that as he was going, another part of this event here is that they were spreading their coats on the road. Guys, one of the most expensive things some of them own was their coats. And here we have the scene where they start taking their coats and they start throwing it on the road before Jesus so that him atop the donkey and his entourage could walk over the ropes. That seems a little bit different to us nowadays. But I want you to hear me, it wasn't for them because that was the honor they would bestow upon a king. Here's what they were saying by doing such. The idea is that, in effect, they were placing themselves under his feet. And so instead of doing it physically, which would be pretty uncomfortable and painful, they did it symbolically by throwing their coats beneath his path. You know, we look at this scene from Palm Sunday, and we're going, man, listen, the crowd gets it. They're making much of Jesus as this triumphal entry into Jerusalem takes place. But I want you to hear me. They are not making much of Jesus here. In reality, this is a tragic case of mistaken identity. Palm Sunday is a tragic case of mistaken identity. Identity. In 1882, Mark Twain came out with a book, The Prince and the Pauper. And it's a story of mistaken identity. A prince and a beggar, they meet by chance only to discover that they look exactly alike. They're almost identical, right? They found their doppelganger, right? In life, they're ready. They found each other. So they decide to trade places. So everybody thought that the beggar was the king and the king was the beggar. You see, the whole nation, the whole kingdom, had a case of mistaken identity. Well, just over 2,000 years ago, Dr. Luke would write in a gospel about another case of mistaken identity, this time not a work of fiction, but a one of historical account. A royal king from heaven had made himself nothing, clothing himself in flesh and made his dwelling among us. And watch what happens here in John chapter 1, verse 11. That he came into his own, and his own did not receive him. They did not receive him. This is a case of mistaken identity, and hear me, church. It broke the very heart of Jesus. What can break the very heart of God? We get a glimpse into that here today. 
We find this, that like Prince Edward in Twain's novel, Jesus is not truly recognized. Even though he's given the royal treatment, shouts, and they hail him as king, even though palm branches are waved and and coats are laid down before him, Jesus knew they were mistaken about his true identity and what he came to do. From the disciples to the, the crowds that day in Jerusalem, all of them, wanted Jesus to be this conquering king riding on a white horse who would deliver them from Rome. But Jesus, at this his first coming, he was a suffering servant atop a donkey who came to deliver them from a far greater enemy than Rome. And that was their very sins. I I preached it this way last year. Jesus wasn't the king they wanted but he sure was the king they needed. I want you to hear me. Jesus may not be the king you want, but from personal experience, Jesus is every bit the king that I need. And by the way, the king that you need today. The Bible tells us this, that as this entire scene plays out, that as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He left over it. You know, I, it's, it's a goal of mine, and soon enough we'll have a Jerusalem trip, a, a Israel trip put on the calendar for Connect Church. And my goal is over the next five to ten years to take as many of you as possible with me to the Holy Land. It's just, it's incredible. Well, I'll never forget being in the city of Jerusalem. And I'm going to have to explain this because this is a busy picture. Jerusalem looks a little bit different than it did in the days of Jesus when he came over the Mount of Olives to begin heading into Jerusalem. But here's what you see. When you stand upon the Mount of Olives and you look over into Jerusalem, this is what you see. I kind of highlighted a couple of areas. Uh, First of all, this is the wall and the city of Jerusalem. Right over here is the eastern gates in which he would have entered into. This right here, this big dome, this golden dome, it is not the temple of God. It is the, one of the most holy sites for Muslims. It's the Dome of the Rock. But this is the site where the temple of God used to be and in the day of Jesus. So Jesus comes up on the, the Mount of Olives. He'll have to go down through this Kidron Valley, go through these eastern gates, up to the Temple Mount. But here's the deal. He stops up here and he sees the city and he ugly cries. He ugly cries over them. And he's heartbroken or heartbroken for them. Jerusalem. The holy city built on Abraham's Mount Moriah, on David's Mount Zion. The city that one day the prophets tell us will be the capital city of the world and the center of God's kingdom on earth. Yet for now, as Jesus sits atop the Mount of Olives, one hill over, he weeps over her. You know, if we were to describe this holy week coming up, leading up to Easter, this Passion Week, It could be entitled a trail of tears because what we see is a trail of tears. Tears in the eyes of Jesus upon seeing the city here in Luke 19. In Matthew 23, as he speaks of the city, when Jesus gets choked up and he begins to talk about her fate, we see tears that fall to the garden's grounds in Gethsemane in John chapter 18 as Jesus prayed in in the shadow of the cross. We hear a cry from the cross itself in Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me as my sin and your sin was brought to bear on Jesus? That moment where 
for the first time, God the Father and God the Son were separated because our sin was on, on Jesus. But I want you to hear me. The trail of tears that we see from Jesus during this Holy Week, this Passion Week, translated into some incredible actions that forever changed the world. You ready? And that forever changed so many believers in this very room. Watch what the Bible tells us as the story continues in Luke chapter 19. It says this, that as he approached Jerusalem, saw it, he wept over it, and said, if you, even you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. You, you go, what peace? They wanted peace from Rome, but there was a, a greater peace that Jesus had to offer. Well, what peace could Jesus possibly be talking about? You ready? It is the peace that Jesus alone can bring between God and man, between a holy God and man who has sinned and rebelled against that God. A peace that only Jesus can bring. In fact, Isaiah chapter 9, 6, Jesus is called our Prince of Peace. It's a reminder that peace is only found in a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Paul would write to the church in Ephesus and say this, For he, meaning Jesus himself, is our peace. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And I love this, that we're reminded that this is peace in a world that has been wounded by sin and plagued by strife. Watch this in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, watch this, believer, and let me remind you, will have trouble. Hey, no, no, not maybe, not hope so. No, you will have trouble. But watch what he says, take heart, I've overcome this world. Hey, can I just remind you just a real quick notion here, that when you find yourself being overwhelmed in this world, run to the one who has overcome this world. Run to Jesus. He's the only one who can be our peace in the midst of the storm. And he goes on and he finishes out here in Luke chapter 19, speaking over the city of Jerusalem. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. Guys, what he's speaking of is war. But there will come a time where people will wage war against the city. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because, watch this, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Hey, by the way, Jesus foresees what takes place in about 40 years in the future, and that is when Rome under Empress Titus comes in and absolutely destroys the city and the, the temple of God. And here's Jesus, knowing this is coming, he's heartbroken, and here's why. He's heartbroken over the suffering his people will endure, the political oppression that they will bear, and the fear and uncertainty that they would experience. But hear me, Jesus is heartbroken most of all because of this spiritual reality. Even though they would welcome him as king, the people missed him. They had mistaken him for someone else and his mission for something else. And so many of them were lost in unbelief. They missed their salvation, their savior, and their peace. And that's why Jesus in these verses would say, had they only known, he was bringing them peace. They did not recognize the time of God's coming to them. They just, they missed him. You say, well, Anthony, then what is it that breaks the very heart of God? What is it that breaks his heart? 
sinners who refuse him, who reject him in unbelief. You know why? Because Jesus is keenly aware. He's keenly aware, uniquely acquainted with the devastating repercussions of sin and death because he bore both sin and death on the cross for you and for me. The lostness of sinners breaks the heart of the Savior. Peter would write this, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise in 2 Peter 3, 9, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And yet, even to this day, so many still miss out on Jesus. So many suffer from a case of mistaken identity. And by the way, even as believers, there's times in our lives where we miss him. There, there's times in our lives we fall into the trap of mistaking who Jesus really is. And Anthony, how is it that we do that? Let me give you a few ways. When we as believers make Jesus just a part of our lives and not central to our lives, not our very lives themselves, then we have missed Jesus. And so here's the remedy. You ready? That we make Jesus central. That we make him the most important part of our lives. That we hop off the throne of our hearts, kick anybody else who's sitting there off in our hearts and our lives, and we invite Jesus to sit there on the throne of our very hearts and lives. Man, how is it that we miss him? How is it that we suffer and fall into this trap of mistaken identity when we know the word of God, the commands of Jesus, and live in rebellion to his words and his commands? Man, if you're doing that, believer, then you're missing him. Repent. Follow Jesus in obedience today to his word and his command. And how do we miss him? When we mistakenly think that Jesus exists alone for our happiness, willing to bend his will and his word to meet our desires and demands. I'm going to tell you, if that's where you're at, believer, you're missing him. You're missing out on Jesus. Quit being deceived by the whims of culture and walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Satisfied in Jesus and dissatisfied with anything else that would separate you from him. Anthony, how is it that we miss Jesus today? Well, we miss him when our hearts don't break for that which breaks his heart. You see, there's a remedy to this. Now, as we enter Holy Week, as we enter this Passion Week before Easter, may the very prayer of our hearts that takes our tears and translates them into action be, Father, break my heart. For what breaks yours? Hey, and can I tell you something, believer? Sometimes that prayer needs to be focused inward at the sin in our lives that we keep around as if it's a pet, that we dismiss as if it has no consequence. And sometimes we need to look to our own sin and go, Father, break my heart for the very sin in my life that breaks yours. think of Jesus and I think where it is that we could really get a glimpse of what breaks his heart. You know what we could do? We could step out on this balcony for a few minutes 
and we could survey the part of Sevier County that we could see, and we could be reminded that 75,000 people are nobody's church, and although there will be an uptick next week, it will probably settle back down to that way again the week after, and realize that many of those 75,000 have no relationship with Jesus and live every day in their lives in unbelief, realizing that breaks the very heart of the God, and therefore it breaks our hearts. When our hearts are broken, our tears become translated into action to do everything we can to reach people with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today we celebrate the tears of Jesus that were translated into action, namely the cross of Christ and the empty tomb of our King. As our heart begins to break for what breaks the very heart of God, may our tears break be translated today into action. Now, usually I close my sermons with a, a touching or an inspiring uh, uh, story of some sort or, or perhaps even a humorous joke. But I want you to hear me. There's nothing more touching and inspiring than the reality of that first Palm Sunday there in Jerusalem. A Palm Sunday which, mind you, gives way to Good Friday. For soon, in just a matter of days on the calendar, Cries of, of crown him were exchanged for cries of crucify him. The hosannas and the hallelujahs, they died fast. They were replaced with hatred and hateful words. The faithful disciples became frightful deserters. Times of excitement seen in the city that day were exchanged for trials of injustice. The blessings shouted over Jesus were exchanged for beatings that broke the body of Jesus. The worship choruses that rang out as Jesus rode into Jerusalem would be exchanged for sounds of whips cracking on his back at the hands of Roman executioners. Jesus' coronation day was exchanged for crucifixion day. Instead of sitting on the throne as a king, Jesus was crucified on a cross as a criminal. Instead of a crown on his head, a circle of thorns pierced his brow. Instead of worshiping his name, they were driving nails into his hands and his feet. Instead of a victor's sword, they were thrusting a spear into his side. Instead of shouts of victory came from Jesus the cry, It is finished. And what began as a grand entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday ended in a garden grave on Good Friday. Oh, but church, Sunday's coming. Oh, church, Sunday's coming. And that first resurrection Sunday changed everything. And so what is the challenge from the text today? What is it that we can walk out of here with? You ready? Just like the disciples and the crowds that day. Man, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you, church. Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss him. Don't miss him. In unbelief, give your heart and your life to him today. Don't miss him by just making him part of your life. He is your life believer. Don't miss him by living in rebellion to his word and his commands. 
Don't miss him by mistakenly identifying him as somebody who exists alone for your happiness, bending his will and his word to meet your desires and demands. Don't miss him. And don't miss him by refusing to allow your heart to break for the very things and the very people his heart breaks for. Don't miss Jesus. Don't join the crowd of that day. Don't miss Jesus. Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.